All right, this afternoon we're going to start a new study in the book of Ephesians. Um, in the past uh, several months or so, or a month and a half, I guess, since the new year, uh, we've been looking at some resolves for the new year by talking about some very important topics in order to be a church, the church that God would have us to be in the coming days. Uh, we've uh, talked about revival, renewal, reaching, and restoration. And each one of these areas uh, could be greatly expanded upon. And I was thinking, well, what Bi- a book of the Bible uh, could we study that would help us to see these resolves come to pass? Uh, now, we know that None of these topics we looked at will happen overnight, uh, but we need to de- continue to desire God's blessing to help us think about the goals and objectives that we've set uh, to achieve. If you remember, uh, that bright green uh, bookmark or Bible mark I gave you um, had some goals and objectives, five goals and objectives given, and I would sum them up this way with a word or phrase, um, I would say our desire would be for a spirit of humility, a cooperation with one another, a good treatment of one another, genuineness and transparency, and then honest communication. So I believe uh, the Lord is impressed upon my heart to study the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, I've studied and taught this uh, book before, but as I thought about it, I knew I must look at it again with fresh eyes and and see what God has uh, to teach the folks, uh, was teaching the folks at Ephesus, and then know that these truths are needful for us here at Spooner Baptist Church. Uh, In recent messages, especially on Wednesday night, uh, uh, if you've been with us on our Wednesday evening Bible studies, we've address this area of humility. Uh, Pride is the greatest sin that can destroy our lives as individuals, as well as the spiritual health of our church. And I don't believe uh, uh, many people understand what genuine humility is. Uh, You know, uh, I think there's a thought that biblical humility is going around all bent over and uh, kind of having an inferiority complex and, and saying, well, I'm just no good. I'm just no good. Well, we know the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. And that's true. But that's not really humility. Uh, you know, that's really not true. Everybody here today, everybody here is somebody. Y'all got a name, right? Uh, your mom and dad named you. It wasn't just, hey, uh, hey you, or uh, boy number one, boy number two, or girl number one, three, four, whatever. Uh, you got a name. You're somebody. Uh, and uh, we need to understand what God says about us. Uh, we need to see who we are in Christ, and we, as we see who we are in Christ, I believe it will have an effect on the ministry of this church. Now, I'm not going to spend time today, a lot great, a great deal of time, talking about the background of the church at Ephesus and how the church was established. Uh, you can read about that in commentaries or in the book of Acts. Uh, you read the book of Acts, the best commentary on the Bible. It'll give you some background to the church at Ephesus. But let me just give you a rough outline 
of uh, Ephesians before we get too far into the message. Kind of a rough outline. Chapter 1, Paul tells us who we are in Christ. Now I want you to remember this two, these two words, in Christ. That's going to be very, very, very important as we study Ephesians. Paul tells us who we are in Christ. And then in chapters 2 and 3, Paul's going to tell us how how we got to be who we are in Christ. And in in chapters 4 through 6, he tells us how to live like what we are in Christ. So actually, the first three chapters are doctrinal, and the last three chapters are practical. In other words, he deals, first of all, with being, and then he deals with doing. Now, if we start with the doing rather than the being, if we do not understand the doctrinal, if we just simply start out in the practical, well, then we're going to get into what some have called legalism. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to try to live in a way that's not going to work out. Uh, It's frustrating to live contrary to the identity that you have or that you do not have in your heart and in your mind. Uh, For instance, uh, Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's what Jesus said. The truth that makes, uh, that frees us. By the way, what is truth? What is truth? Let me tell you it this way. Truth is what God says. All right? Truth is what God says. That's truth. And truth is what God says. Whatever God says, that's truth. The truth is embodied in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But you see, the truth does not make you free until you know it. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, it doesn't matter how true the truth is. It doesn't matter how wonderful the truths are. They will not give you freedom. They will not set you free until you know them. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You must know the doctrinal before you can translate it into the practical. Let me give you an illustration. I borrowed this illustration from Adrian Rogers, okay? Adrian Rogers, an old Southern Baptist uh, preacher um, uh, who's uh, now with the Lord. And uh, I don't think he's a Southern Baptist anymore. I think he's a Heavenly Baptist, okay? Uh, But he said, if you go to the circus and you see a circus elephant, he probably has a chain or a rope around one of his legs, And you would expect, because he's such a big old elephant, you could expect to see that chain hooked onto a piece of concrete or uh, some kind of uh, something that's sunk deep into the ground. Maybe you'd even expect to see that chain or that rope locked into a wall somewhere, but it's not. Many times, that chain or that rope is just hooked to a, a wooden stake that's not even up very far from the ground, and it's not into the ground very far, maybe six inches or so. And uh, that elephant will be there, and he's going back and forth, and maybe his hind leg is, is going behind him because he's chained to that stake. Remember, the stake's only about six inches into the ground. 
And he'll be reaching down. He'll maybe get some straw and throw it over his back and he'll swing his head around and so forth. But he's always going to leave that leg out there with the chain uh, tied to it. Now, anytime that elephant wanted to, he could pull that chain out of the ground. If he really wanted to. If he desired to. The chain does not keep him there. And I'll tell you what keeps him there. When he was a young elephant... They trained him. They put a chain on him and they put a stake into the ground that he could not move as a young elephant. He couldn't move it. He probably tried, but he couldn't move it. And they tied him maybe to a tree or to some wall or some stake that was beyond his strength to move and he would pull against it and he could not move the stake. And now they can put a stake just six inches into the ground and he'll never try and pull it out because he has it in his mind that it's fastened. He has it in his mind. He's chained. And that's his mental perception. Now, what he perceives is not true. He perceives that the stake will hold him. It's not true. If he knew the truth, the truth would set him free. The truth is that he could pull that stake right out of the ground, but he doesn't know it. And so, rather than living by what he is and his true conditions, he lives by his perceptions. And his perceptions have him bound. Now, I'm telling you this this afternoon, many Christians do not understand the truth. They do not know who they are in Christ. They've never really understood who they are and what they have in Christ. And therefore, they are never really liberated. They have a lid on their mind spiritually. You say, I cannot do this. I cannot be free. I can't, I can't succeed. I'm chained by this habit. I'm chained by this failure. I'm chained by my limited knowledge. And on and on you could go. But it's not true. But if we believe it's true, well, it might as well be true. So as we study this book, we will see import, how important it is to know the truth And then put that truth into practice. So look with me, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. We're not going very fast through this book, and we're not going very far today. So if you're ready for your nap, hang on. Hang on. All right? Notice with me, first of all, the author. I think we all know who the author of Ephesians was. Tells us right off the bat, right in the first verse there. Verse 1, his name is listed as Paul. Paul. Now that name, Paul, means little. Originally his name was Saul. Uh, He was named after the most famous of the Benjamites, the first king of Israel, King Saul. Saul was well educated in the school of Gamaliel, this Saul, who became Paul, according to Acts 22. He was a rabbi. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a prominent Jewish leader uh, who hated the followers of Jesus Christ. He was on his way to arrest Christians when Saul of Tarsus had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. You read about that in Acts chapter 9. Again, here's the background in Acts. But the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus and God used him to preach the word of God around the known world. Uh, Paul became the greatest preacher of the Christian era. 
Uh, He was responsible for writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. God used him to give us 14 of the books. Now, that we know very little about him and about what he is going to write about, uh, we at least can know who he is and who's talking here. And so we're going to look at uh, the first two verses. And so secondly, I want you to notice the authority. The authority. Paul reveals a dual source of his authority. He writes as one who must be heard. He writes as one who has been sent for a purpose of declaring new truth. Uh, And he identifies himself as an apostle. And uh, we see his authority in two ways. The first way we see it is as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now the word apostle translates the word Greek word apostolos, which means a sent one. The word is used in the New Testament to refer to those men who were chosen to be the foundational leaders of the early churches. They were men who received direct revelation from God, and then they gave it to his people. They gave us the apostles' doctrine. There are only 14 men in history that can answer to this title of apostle. There were 12 apostles originally until Judas defected. In Acts 1, you read that Matthias was chosen to replace Judas. And then Paul becomes the 14th apostle according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he met the requirements of being an apostle. He saw the risen Christ and he was included in their number. There are no apostles today. If someone calls themselves apostle, forget it. They're a deceiver and they're, they're not an apostle. Okay? There are no apostles today. The other source of authority, not an apostle of Jesus Christ, but by the will of God. By the will of God. Paul was a man sent from God for a very special mission with divine authority. Uh, He also tells us that he's an apostle by the will of God. This reminded his readers that Paul has not chosen this path for himself, but the Lord chose this path for him. Paul's own testimony reveals that he knew to be true about himself. We read about it in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's use of the word does not arise out of pride. He doesn't call himself an apostle because he's proud. Remember, we're talking a little bit about about, uh, profound humility. Paul's not being proud here. He wasn't saying, you know, I'm worthy to be an apostle. No, he's saying it in humility. By the way, Paul knew that his first priority was to be a servant of Christ. You read about this in uh, other letters of his, particularly the book of Romans. But God had somehow placed his hand on Paul, called him to a special place of service, and he does the same for every one of his children. He's called every one of his children. If you're a believer here, he's called you to be a servant. Every one of us. None of us will ever be apostles. We will all have a place in the family of God, and more specifically, the body of Christ, which is this local church where we are here in Spooner, Wisconsin, where we are expected to serve. 
when we all are in our place serving the Lord, this body of Christ will function as it's been designed to function. Now, when Paul mentions his apostleship, again, he's not throwing away on titles. He's not saying, I'm Dr. So-and-so with all these letters after my name. I mean, he's not that kind of a person. He's very humble. He's just stating his authority. He's saying, this is my authority to deliver truth to the people of God. And that's what we're interested in this this afternoon, is understanding this idea of truth. So thirdly, we come to the addressees. Looked at the author, the authority, and now the addressees. Having written about the dual source of his authority, Paul issues a dual designation concerning the uh, recipients of his letter. He calls them saints, and he calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. I want you to examine those two titles for just a moment. First of all, we're called saints. When people hear that, they think of the dead religious people who have been exalted by some religious organization. And I'm not going to refer to them as a church. They're a religious organization. But if you're from one of those religious organization backgrounds, you probably would think of the statues that you used to pray to. Uh, Those ideas did not come even close to what the Bible means by saints. Listen, nobody can make me a saint. You know why? I'm already a saint. You say, well, that doesn't sound very humble. That sounds arrogant. No. If you're saved and you're a child of God, you are a saint as well. Someone has said there are two classes of people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. That means there's the saved and the lost. That's the only kind of two people there are in the world. And you're either one or the other. Now, we've already mentioned this idea of humility. So what is humility? You may say, well, you know, I don't think I ought to be calling myself a saint. Well, let me tell you what real humility is. Real humility is accepting what God says about you. Remember, that's the definition of truth. Truth is what God says. And here we have a truth about you as a believer. And this is what God says about you. You're a saint. You see, if you accept what God says about you, that is real humility. Not what you think about it, but what God says about it. That's the difference. Have you ever tried to lead a person to Christ and you just don't uh, couldn't lead that person to Christ because that person could never believe what God said about him being a sinner. You know, if you're going to lead someone to Christ, that person has to understand and believe what God says about them in their sin problem. Well, there are some Christians who never have victory because they will not they do not understand, they will not receive what God says, not only about their sinfulness when they were lost, but about their sainthood now that they're saved. You know, some Christians resist that idea. Maybe you're here to, this afternoon and say, I, just, I can't think of myself as a saint. Well, you're, you're thinking about the wrong kind of saint. You're thinking about that religious organization who tries to lift up and exalt someone and pray to them after they're dead and so forth. 
Don't think of it that way. Understand what God says you are. And he calls you a saint. And so Christians, don't, they resist that idea and they don't get the victory because they cannot accept the fact that they are saints. Now, if you asked a Christian if he's a saint, he might say something like this. Well, I, I wouldn't call myself a saint. You know, I'm saved. Yes, I'm saved. But so why wouldn't a Christian call himself a saint? He might say, well, I know I am, you know, I know that, but I'm just no good. Who said you were no good? Jesus died for you. And if you are one of his saints, what right have you to go around and say you're no good? Some Christians might even say, well, you know, I'm just not what I ought to be. Now that sounds humble, doesn't it? No, because that's not humility. That's not what God says about you. A man says, well, you know, I'm just not what I ought to be. You know what that is? We used that word this morning. It's rebellion. Let me ask you a question. If you're not what you ought to be, why not? Can you answer that? Why aren't you what you ought to be? Do you think God is going to take that for an excuse? No. If you ought to be that way, or some, uh, uh, you ought to be what God says you are, then why aren't you that way? So the truth is, remember truth is what God says about you. The truth is, God calls you a saint. The word saint means a most holy thing. He speaks of something that has been sanctified, has been set apart for God's exclusive use. It speaks of how God sees us. Every child of God is a saint. Every person who is saved by the grace of God, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, is a a holy thing, set apart for the glory of God and for His exclusive use in this world. The word saint describes what the Lord has done uh, for us in Christ. In Christ. That's so important. When we came to the Lord Jesus by faith, God saved our souls. He imputed the righteousness of Christ to our accounts. Now, the other thing he says here is the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul calls the saints the faithful in Christ Jesus. While the word saint describes our standing before the Lord, the word faithful describes our activities in this world. And because we've been saved, because we've been sanctified by God, we are new creatures in Jesus. As a result, we are to live a distinct, different life from the world around us. In other words, those who know the Lord are His holy saints who, are, who live faithful lives in this world that does not know, uh, the world that does not know the Lord. Now, if you are what you should be as a believer... We will be faithful in all that we do and say and in all we are for Christ's sake. You know, when we recognize our righteousness in Christ and that we are God's saints, the fact of sainthood would cause us to want to be faithful servants unto God. If you will just understand, if I will just understand, God calls me a holy thing, a set-apart thing, a person, a, a person that... 
I need to love God. I need to, to honor Him. And I need to recognize what I have in Christ. That should cause me to be faithful. That should cause us to want to be faithful. Faithful servants of God, the one who provided sovereign grace that we as individuals might be born again. We are saints and we should be faithful because we're in Christ Jesus. Now that's all we're going to talk about today. I'm going to close it up here. We've talked about humility as we've looked at the author. Paul was a humble man. We've looked at his authority. He recognized he was... uh, uh, from Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And he talked to the saints and the faithful in the church of Ephesus. And by extension, we can say he's been, he's been talking to us this afternoon. A Bible-believing, Bible-practicing local church and all the such churches down through the ages, even to the present day. And this is something we need to pay attention to. And I encourage us if all possible, not to miss a single lesson as we study how to fulfill our resolves for this year, the goals and objectives of our church. I trust this study will be helpful to us and an encouragement to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven,